Hey guys, welcome to the Cannabis Minority Report powered by the National Cannabis Industry Association, one of the largest trade associations in the cannabis industry to date. I am your host, Khadija Adams, founder of Grow Get That Money and the Green Street Academy. Here with you this week for our check-ins and updates and interviews with minority-owned companies in the space, as well as companies that support social equity applicants and social equity applicants themselves, as well as cannabis industry leaders and pioneers. Joining me today is my co-host, Ms. Alexis Olive of Olive Media, and our very special guest, Mr. Mark Slaw um, of I Comply Cannabis. He's also a DEIC member, as well as a policy committee leader, and we'll learn more about Mark his relationship with cannabis, his journey to change policy for minorities and his contribution to the industry. But before we dive in, let's go to Alexis and get the latest news and happenings with minorities in cannabis. Alexis. Well, I know um, one thing a lot of people have been thinking about are um, talking about the Olympian uh, or would-be Olympian Shikari Richardson. And, you know, it's been pretty controversial. Um, they did announce that she won't be competing at all in her race for the relay. Um, and for me personally, it just is, is showing another obstacle that people of color, women of color have to go over and go through because um, simple things like a plant that they use as medicine have been uh, criminalized. Um, so everyone has their own opinion. Unfortunately, she will not be able to compete this year, perhaps in the future. Um, but also, I think she put herself in um, a spotlight for, for advocacy. Absolutely. I agree with that. You know, I have to say that, you know, I'm kind of torn in my decision um, because, you know, it's been a long time, y'all, and I'm not going to tell you my age. It's been a long time since I've been in school, but I was an athlete. And when you play with teams or with games or whatever, there are rules, you know, that you have to follow. And we know the rules. And so I'm kind of torn because she did break the rule, you know. However, I'm torn because it, it's a plant, <laughs> like, you know. So anyways, Alexis, back to you. Sorry about that. I, I just, you know, I, you're right. There's a lot of different opinions out there. But, you know, Shikari, man, I, I was rooting for you and I'm still rooting for you. I think that you are badass um, and, and athlete and I can't wait to see you next year. Awesome. And in other news, um, you know, there is a ton of stuff going on in the cannabis industry. However, this week I wanted to highlight two, um, two different companies. Um, one that I believe Khadija is very familiar with, uh, she sits on the board of Calixium Detroit, and they actually just released into their largest retailer. Um, and that's Jars Cannabis in Michigan. Um, and the, the founders and CEOs of that is uh, Latoya Rucker and Rebecca Collette. And they're just doing some amazing things up there in Detroit. And so I definitely want to give them a shout out. And um, also for their, the Detroit Cannabis Project, which I believe, Khadija, you speak um, with, and they are a business incubator for minority-owned businesses in the cannabis space. And so really, if you want to check out a team that's really walking the walk and talking the talk, then look at them. Um, another person that I wanted to highlight is 
on the other coast over here is uh, in San Francisco, California, Mr. Reginald Wise. He is a social equity applicant that recently opened um, his first storefront. Um, it's called Sunspot CBD. So while he has his license, he's first doing CBD and then we're gonna see him uh, getting into the cannabis market um, with the THC products eventually, um, but please, on, J on uh, July 18th, so this coming Sunday, at a 3186 21st Street in San Francisco. That's where you can find his shop, so please go and support. And um, I'm hoping to highlight some more social equity applicants-owned businesses in the near future um, on the show. So that's yeah, all I got for today. That would be great to interview. Thank, thank you for that, Alexis. In fact, I would love to have them both, all of them. Um, Rebecca and Latoya from Calixium. And yes, I do sit on the board and they definitely not only walk the walk, but they talk and walk the same walk. And I love that when you are in sync with knowing your vision and knowing where you want, where you want to go and pull in the right people to help you get there, man, success is just literally on a way. So right. excited about that. But definitely want to have them on to interview them and want to also have Mr. Wise on as well. You know, ex-advertising agency um, executives launched a minority-owned cannabis and spirits platform. Um, the company is called FlavorFix, um, the first media platform catering to cannabis and spirits they've launched, and um, they've actually built it to educate people not only on cannabis and CBD, but also on spirits. And they wanted to allow brands to be able to connect um, with other brands as well. <clears throat> now, Kaya Herb House is the first legal dispensary in Jamaica, and they've actually partnered with Flavor Fix um, so that they could be their launch sponsor. So although they um, were, you know, in a, a well-established media platforms in the cannabis space, also in the spirit space, there's not been one that had both multi-billion dollar industries that also collect the data in one location to a fluent um, audience and, and really help with the overlap in those categories. So this allows Flavor Fix to have twice the amount of traffic and be as big as Weed Maps, Leafly, Mary Jane, and a host of other platforms that actually focus on one of those industries. Next, my, um, marijuana criminalization impacts as reported by the Minority Report. You guys, I literally found this article and the article is called The Minority Report. Who knew, <laughs> right? So a few weeks ago, members of the Rastafarian community staged protests in front of the Attorney General's chambers. While these specific protests were inspired by the recent arrest of former counsel, President Ross, um, his name is Ross Leon Soul, for possession, you guys, he got picked up for possess possession of a small amount of cannabis. And I mean, come on, you guys, we're talking about Jamaica here, okay? They should have been legalized a long time ago, but it seems that, you know, agencies and, and companies have really um, been after the government uh, and calling on government officials to lead decriminalization efforts for many, many years. You guys, it's long overdue. We're talking about Jamaica here, <laughs> where some of the best ganja in the world is actually found. 
get it together, Jamaica, come on, you're way behind. And then finally, one of Brand's partners with um, New Leaf um, Project to propel minority participation in the cannabis industry, support passage of Oregon Cannabis Equity Act as well. So as part of its ongoing commitment to social equity in the cannabis industry, one of Brands has joined Oregon's New Leaf Project to support the passage of the state's legislatures um, recently introduced Cannabis Equity Act HB 3, um, sorry, 3112-2021. Now the partnership will also support the development of resources to help promote New Leaf's Minority Business Accelerator Program, which is working to build intergenerational success for Black and Brown people throughout the cannabis industry. According to Nancy Whiteman, the CEO of Wanna Brand, she says, at Wanna, we are acutely aware of our obligation to help people of color find their rightful place in the cannabis space. And you guys, we mention all of this news to you primarily because there are, comp there are companies out there and there are people out there that are social equity applicants. And some of these companies, they do have funds and they do have um, and want to support. So we want you guys to actually connect. So coming up next, um, you'll meet our special guest, Mr. Mark Slaw. And he is with I Comply Cannabis. He's also a um, diversity, equity, and inclusion committee member, as well as a policy committee leader. So we'll learn more about his cannabis story and get his perspective on social equity right after these messages. We're very proud to be NCIA members. Uh, we've been members for the last three years, and I gotta say, every event, every conference, every uh, you know get together that's sponsored by NCIA is a good opportunity not just to meet uh, you know others in the industry, obviously, uh, but really to talk about the industry as a whole, where it's going, where it's been, our challenges to date. We feel really grateful to NCIA for including us in the educational tracks the last three years. We've been at every seed to sale and most of the shows in, on the West Coast. Every time we're here, I always have a sense that it's not just another one of these industry conferences, that it's actually, um, that it is the industry's lobbying arm and that it's an organization that is protecting all of us and fighting for the legal future that we all need. At the end of the day, the most important and impactful thing for us is the community. It's really about the people, the people that NCIA brings together and, and the events like this one that NCIA organizes for, for us to gather. If you're in this industry, NCIA is trying to influence it positively for you. If you're not speaking up, if you're not participating in committees, you're missing out on a huge window. You know, everyone wants change. Well, this is one of the ways you, you do it. You don't have to be a member of the NCIA. You could just do nothing and let them do everything for you and fix all the problems that need to be fixed for the industry to work properly. And you could just sit on the sidelines. That would be fine, but be better if you were a member. Mark, Mark, am I pronouncing your last name correctly? You yeah. are. It is the, the last name my wife, father gave me. That is correct. 
Awesome. So Mark is with I Comply Cannabis, you guys. He's also a diversity, equity, and inclusion committee member, as well as a policy committee leader. Mark is a stat has established I Comply to help cannabis businesses navigate the complexities of regulated marijuana. He provides a leadership and forward thinking that continues to set standards across the global industry. Welcome to the Cannabis Minority Report, Mark. How are you? Yeah, thanks for having me, Khadija. I'm doing well today. It's just uh, another Monday in this wild world of weed. Yes, yes, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> definitely a happy Monday. Well, tell us about your journey into the, the cannabis industry and how I Comply Cannabis came to be. Sure. So, um, man, it seems like so long ago at this point. I probably got started back 13, 14 years ago, 2008, 2009. Uh, with a wonderful little group called SSDP, or Students for Sensible Drug Policy. So any of you uh, wonk heads out there that like policy and have been around this uh, issue for a while, um, you may know SSDP. They have hundreds of chapters in universities across the, the nation and the world, and they teach uh, young students like myself at the time, uh, what is the war on drugs? Uh, what is harm reduction? What are we doing with uh, policy on, on drugs in general um, in the world? And I had already lived in Brazil. That's where my mom's from and, and where half of my culture comes from is, is very Latino based. And I had seen what real poverty looks like. And I'm not to disparage what we go through here in the U.S., but there is certainly a different degree of it when you're in other countries. And a lot of it has to relate down to just no opportunities and, and also seeing what the, the detrimental effects have been on the war on drugs in Latin America. So I was pretty passionate about social justice I think if you if I really think about it all the way back to just some of the early, you know, childhood racism I experienced in Texas being, uh, you know, having a little black boy beat in front of the whole class and we all get Snickers bars not to talk about it or being called a beaner by the teacher in front of the whole class and saying my parents must be too poor not to be able to feed me, that sort of thing. Wow. I think I've always just been passionate about trying to balance the scales of that because even as a kid, you know, that's not right. You know, that's not fair. Right. Um, and we do a lot of not right, not fair things to people. We do. And that's just kind of the old friend of America and its systemic injustices. And so I thought the war on drugs, specifically the war on marijuana, not only had a big impact on my people back home, but also my half culture here and seeing uh, people war in the streets over territory, seeing police fight people every single day over the war on a plant that is 113 times safer than alcohol just made no sense to me whatsoever. Yeah. So I really got involved in the passion of it back then. And we didn't have an industry back then, right? I didn't really even come out till 20, 2009, 2010 in Colorado, where I'm at. And so I was one of those early activists or advocates that was pushing for uh, the legalization of marijuana. And when the, the government kind of said, hey, we're going to back off and allow this to happen, I started working with an industry association out of uh, Colorado Springs in Southern Colorado. Uh, to really gather people together and find strength in numbers. So I grew the, the organization to about 150 members back in the, in the day. And we started lobbying the local city government and putting people together at networking events because they were forcing this 70% uh, of your product had to be grown by your own company, forced vertical integration. So we had these shotgun marriages we had to put together and get people started. And so it really began my career of one, looking at how important it was that the policies, the regulation, the legislation matches the business opportunity mm -hmm. and then also what it looked what it looked like and what it took for people to be able to comply with that and get on that road 
And so I, I did that and started the first uh, couple companies and brands that are still uh, successful today out in Colorado space, uh, help them grow, help move them, and also lobbied at the Capitol for five years, just representing the, the interests of uh, Southern Colorado, which was different than, say, Denver or Boulder. Yeah. And so we just wanted to make sure there's representation and good, sensible policy that was put in place. I worked on the Amendment 64 campaign for um, three years, getting signatures and passing that in a pretty conservative uh, Colorado Springs, El Paso County here in Colorado. And I started I Comply in 2011 when I was working in an operator's shoes and realizing very quickly that hundreds of pages of rules and regulations was going to be very difficult to be in integrity with, especially for people that traditionally didn't come from uh, a business structure that they would normally get. I just graduated, I think, at the time, 2010, and started iComply in 2011. And so I thought I'm going to use all these new business skills and early experience in cannabis to help hone the craft, if you will, of marijuana. Um, started writing SOPs and doing training programs and all the wonderful things that iComply does today. Nice. Well, I love iComply. And I have to tell you, when I first went to Colorado, iComply was one of the first companies that I was introduced to. Awesome. Yeah, I can feel your passion. I can definitely feel your passion for the cause, man. Uh, and congratulations. Sounds like you're coming on your one year or 10 year anniversary, decade yeah. long. Cinco de Mayo, our 10 year anniversary. Yep. <laughs> well, let me ask you this. Um, you know, the term social equity, what does that mean to you? Yeah, I think, you know, the key word there is is equity, right? It means an equal playing field. Um, I think a lot of people misconfuse the term, especially if they're sort of playing the zero sum game that tends to be uh, maybe the racially divisive or the politically divisive politics of our day, uh, where it's, you know, essentially, well, if I, I never got that, why should you get that, right, type of an ideology. And I think equity really just means that you have an equal playing field. Uh, you mentioned the athlete earlier. Well, she's running an obstacle course with you know more obstacles in the way and a delayed head start. How is that equitable? And so for me, social equity doesn't mean that we're giving away uh, things. Doesn't mean socialism or communism. I'm very much a, a conscious capitalist. I think capitalism should be intelligently designed. We should have good regulatory models that make sense for everybody. Um, and, that, and that some people need regulations because otherwise without boundaries, people operate out of control and do very shady things. Um, and we have examples of this type of behavior and, and things in the marketplace all over the place. So even though I'm in, in compliance, um, I, I think that's where things start. I tell people we're not in a, a marijuana business. We're in a legal and political business first. Then we're in a regulatory business and a licensing business, compliance, right? And then after that, you can grow and sell weed according to all of the above. Now, for some people, there's less obstacles to get there. For other people, that's just more obstacles in the way. So we just have to acknowledge that the impacts of systemic prejudices, systemic biases, systemic disadvantage has created an unequal starting field with more obstacles in the way for other people. And ironically, those other people are the ones who have been suffering the entire time so that we can have a culture where we had cannabis, where we had normalization. So it, it needs to be a, a deep moral question that we ask ourselves, especially in light of uh, things like federal uh, legalization coming up. What are we going to do to balance those scales back uh, and create that equity for, for all? Because just depending on states to states to do it, um, I don't know if that's going to really work. Do you really see Texas or Alabama, some of these other states, making anything equitable? Yeah, no. Um, I don't see that at all, actually. Right. I, I would love to see something like that in Texas, but 
I mean, look at where Texas is right now. I mean, but it's the same state where that mayor during the freezing storm said, uh, government doesn't do shit for you. Just, oh, sorry, doesn't do anything for you. You need to, you know, take care of yourself. So, yeah, yeah I don't know if the politics are going to allow for that, right? So I think uh, just like the Civil Rights Voting Act 1965, we've got to have some federal intervention to create social equity uh, that truly balances the scales. This may be the only opportunity we have to do so mm-hmm. to repair the harms done over 80 years of marijuana prohibition. Yeah. Well, I guess you kind of answered my next question, which was, as a man of color, how important is it to create policy that includes people of color um, from the start and prioritizing that? Yeah, I mean, very important. Not only is it just the people that have suffered uh, during the war on drugs the whole time, but, um, you know, we're also talking about just representation culturally. Uh, mm-hmm. you, you don't hear a lot of, you know, country songs that, that include marijuana and marijuana culture because it's not really, I think, been popularized or normalized through uh, much of, of Caucasian culture. And yet the people that have been selling it, the people who have been suffering with it, whether it's the cartels on that side of the border and dealing with um, the impacts of, of things like social stigmatization and, uh, and super religious fervor that's just kind of pit people against moral morality on cannabis alone. Or it's on this side of things where you may have had the only job opportunity was selling cannabis or moving weight so that you could have the American dream that you were promised that doesn't exist in your community, mm-hmm. right? That, that whole world is, is really, I think, culturally been part of what we've created in, in the U.S. Um, and, and also just in general across our, our, our culture. So, yeah, as a man of color, I think representation that is extremely important. When I was growing weed... Back in the day, it was like, um, you know, home growing and doing the caregiver thing early on in Colorado and, you know, MS-13 found out about it, tagged my fence. I mean, there's there's some real things that go on that I decided I'm not going to do that anymore. And, uh, you know, and, and there's just a world to it. There's a world to it. And so you, you have to represent sort of uh, respect, at least the people that have been representing this for a long time, mm-hmm. long before you ever had to worry about administrative court only, and you didn't have to worry about the shotguns, the dogs in your house and, and deal with, right, having to represent your own interests in, in, the, in the industry, in the game, in the thing you were doing to try to make money. So it's extremely important. Um, <laughs> that's, yeah. it's a, just to have that, that inclusivity, right, and allow people to make money on something that's now legal instead of completely blocking them out. Um, I live in Colorado, you know, I, it's 97% are, are not minorities that own licenses here, 3% or less. And we have a state with almost 30%, you know, Hispanic population. So it's just, it's, yeah, it, it's not where it needs to be. Um, and it's extremely important that it does include people and not just workers, right? Not just putting people in their rightful places as, if you will, as workers in the industry. I mean, sure, that's always a good thing, giving people job opportunities. But I think it's really important that we give them long-lasting, new generational wealth because there's plenty of pie for everybody. And hoarding the pie and and not handing out pieces just doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I agree with you 100%. You know, so let me ask you, Mark, as a member of the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Committee, how are you fulfilling your commitment to social equity through that committee? Oh, um, <laughs> I mean, it's a great group of people. And uh, we kind of founded things together, you know, when this committee started at NCIA. 
and I've known the NCA uh, staff and, and folks for a long time. I kind of shared office space with them for you know, going on about half a decade or so up in Denver. And they're great people. Um, and I would say they're, they weren't, uh, just like a lot of Colorado companies early on, weren't being very diverse. Uh, but even uh, with that, I think they were open and receptive to feedback. And, and so I was really excited when they started the DEIC because now we have an opportunity within NCIA and the reach that NCIA has with thousands of members across the nation to be able to really influence policy and to create change in a very positive and effective way. And so as a member of the DEIC, I'm really committed to fulfilling my promise with social equity on the federal level. I think that honestly, in my opinion, that's the only place we're gonna be able to make the effective change we need. I can always talk to you about state level, right? We can always talk to different countries and I'll always be doing that work. But I think as a national cannabis industry association, it's important that we represent social equity at a national level. And that means we have to have good policies. And, and so far with all of our other associations, our, our friends out there in the industry, everybody can, can identify the problems, right? Every social equity conference call, webinar I end up being on almost feels a little exhausting. You should be talking around the, the same things in circles over and over again. Absolutely. And I think I'm just wired in a way that's like, all right, let's acknowledge problems. But let's get focused on solutions and how do we create them and collaborate them with them together to get us across the finish line. And I think that's where, where I can contribute the best to, to our DEIC and where I think I've made some good progress is working with folks to really bring those solutions to the table, make sure that they make sense mm-hmm. and be able to spit that feedback back and forth to come up with policy solutions that I can then take to the policy council, take to the rest of NCIA uh, and hopefully make some effective change um, when this rolls out federally. Because I don't think it's a question of if anymore, but more that's when right. and, and how. That's right, absolutely. Well, we definitely appreciate you and the work that you're doing on a global scale. Um, can you tell us what you're currently working on? Yeah, um, so I just uh, was reviewing legislation that got dropped by the, the country of Belize. I think you mentioned Jamaica earlier, and it kind of reminded me of a similar situation. Um, so I, I wrote the regulations for the island of Puerto Rico 2015 and helped the government implement their model there for two years. And we created a really successful model in the, the island of Puerto Rico. So continuing the, the work sort of around the Caribbean, around Latin America, I'm, I'm really passionate to use my language skills in Spanish and in Portuguese to be able to open up new markets and have uh, advanced level conversations, especially on policy. So again, it all starts with how those laws look. So back to Belize, I had a good conversation with the minister down there for about four hours on, on the model that they were proposing, at least back and forth. And now we're seeing the publication of that, that legislation. Um, it's definitely falling short of what it needs to be. Uh, they still got a lot of social equity issues, but in general, I uh, just saw another RFP come down today for another island nation that I'll, I'll be jumping on top of and seeing if we can help. So I'm really passionate about getting in with the government, teaching them social equity, uh, teaching them what good policy and good regulation looks like to create the successful pillars of economic viability that these markets are going to need to be self-sustaining. Mm-hmm. So you look at a place like Mexico trying, you look at a place like Belize or some of these other countries, and especially ones that were dependent on tourism, they took a huge hit when uh, COVID happened. And these nations are suffering, their people are suffering. Bahamas is having a hard time feeding their people right now. You've just got some major issues that are going on because of the fallout of a global pandemic. And cannabis could be a, a very good solution 
uh, for these these island nations, especially, or these nations that that are just beautiful places in the world, to capture back that tourism with sort of a cannabis tourism model. And so we're we're trying to create these new opportunities for them to grow their own wealth and be able to feed and sustain their people, uh, not just with cannabis, but with, by the results that come from that. Um, still working on a lot of things in Brazil, Colombia, Mexico, etc. So I'm really passionate about that. And uh, so nationally, I want to bring uh, sort of the U.S. and our markets here into the fold internationally where it's already starting to happen. So uh, towards the end of August, I'll probably be in Europe for another month or so uh, just to be uh, talking to companies out there as well and figuring out where those demand markets are for the supply chains we can establish in Latin America. Fantastic. Well, hey, listen, I have my passport ready, so let me know when you need to. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're always welcome to, to come on over. There's going to be an ICBC conference, I think, in Berlin uh, coming uh -huh. up at the end of August. Hey, I might be able to find me a husband there too, huh? <laughs> <laughs> so um, will you be speaking at any um, conferences or events this year? And if so, how can we support you? Speaking at a number of conferences and events, so I think we have a good six months of booths and speaking engagements lined up. It's going to be busy now that COVID is sort of ending and people are coming back out. Um, so yeah, follow us on on Facebook, on uh, Instagram. Um, we're under I Comply Cannabis or I Comply LLC. Uh, you'll be able to find us there, and we'll let you know where we're coming up, where our booths are going to be at, and where we're where are we speaking on different events. I think next one for for me that's coming up, we're really happy with the quality of presentation I'm putting together. It'll be kind of like a TED talk on compliance, talking about it now versus then in the state of Missouri. Now, Missouri is a really interesting market. And of course, I touch on social equity in there. They've got some counties in Missouri are 10 times more likely to arrest black people for cannabis than white people. Yep. So there's a massive conversation, no matter what state you're in, um, that we'll be talking about these issues. And also, how does that play into these new licenses, these new operations? And as a business owner, I'm, I'm a sponge of information. You come out, learn, uh, absorb it, because it's based in 10 years of experience that is based in a very unique perspective uh, that I've been consistently fighting for with integrity for a long time. And so I think we're starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel, but we're just a baby industry learning how to crawl. There's still so much for us to do uh, in so many ways we can grow up and evolve. Well, I'm excited for you, excited about everything that you're doing. Want to congratulate you and thank you so much for being with us today. And, you know, you mentioned Belize and um, I know that Miss Alexis, if she didn't mind me saying, is going to be going to Belize and she invited me to come. And so, you know, we, we may be shooting from Belize here pretty soon in August. So oh, awesome. Uh, if I'm in town, that sounds really neat. I'm spending a lot of time in the Miami area in, in general, so it's not too far of a plane ride, but uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful nation. Um, yes, beautiful people, but they do need some kind of cannabis market because the stuff that they have there is not so good. And, you know, they're, they're locking a lot of their own people up um, yeah, for that. Fortunately, Alexis, it looks like they're kind of taking a very monopolistic cultivation model like they're doing some uh, it looks like kind of shady things it was centralized nursery where you have to buy your genetics and plants from uh, so i don't know it you can only do so much sometimes you're still up against the realities of um, certain political and geopolitical realities so yeah, we'll see see, we but thankful some, thankful for people feedback. like you definitely that are that are doing doing the good job like that so i'm saying take khadija over there go talk to him too <laughs> yeah, you're like, what are y'all doing? 
right? <laughs> yeah. in the right direction. It takes a, it takes a village, y'all. Yeah, absolutely. We're we're looking forward to having you back on the show. I want to thank you so much for being with us. You can hang on with us while we finish up, but we're going to um, go reach out for a commercial and be back in about one minute. We'll see you in a minute. Your right to lobby is actually enshrined in your First Amendment rights. You know, there's things like your right to free speech, but also included is your right to petition. And what they're talking about is to petition or lobby the government. And so this is something that's really an intrinsic um, American value to, to talk to your government because they're supposed to listen and be accountable to you. you know, to, to go to Washington and have 250 or 300 cannabis industry professionals who are committed to the same goal and cause that you are, and you're all there united to do that. I mean, it's a really moving thing. Hey, you guys, we are back, and I'm just so excited that we had such a great time with Mark today. Um, you know, I like to, now it's time for us to have our, our announcements, and we're going to just wrap it up for today. The mission of the DEI committee is to educate, to advocate, to engage, and empower the community of cannabis and its members by cultivating partnerships with other nonprofit organizations with similar goals providing resources that create and sustain an environment that is inclusive, equitable, and diverse. We are also committed to building a culture that respects our members and celebrates their contributions as we work together to strengthen all communities in cannabis. Special shout out to our DEI program sponsors, um, Taihoe Wellness Center, as well as Copper State Farms. Thank you so much. We appreciate your support. Don't forget, you guys, that the NCIA's webinar series and its Midwest Cannabis Business Conference takes place September 22nd and 23rd in Detroit, Michigan. Yes, your girl will be there. Okay. Um, now, super early bird um, pricing is now available. So get your tickets today. For more information, go to MidwestCannabisBusinessConference.com. That's, that's Midwest cannabisbusiness.com and then our eastern cannabis business conference takes place december 7th and 8th in baltimore maryland and for more information and to get your tickets go to eastern cannabisbusinessconference.com and then finally you guys our cannabis business summit takes place december 15th through the 17th in san francisco california for more information go to cannabis business summit Com. So we'd like to thank our co-host, Ms. Alexis Olive of I Love You Media, along with our special guest, Mr. Mark Slaw of I Comply Cannabis, um, as well as a DEIC member and policy committee leader. Don't forget to download the NCIA's mobile app, um, you guys, so you can have us at your fingertips. Um, if you have any one that you have um, in particular that you think that, sh that we should interview them on our show here at the Cannabis Minority Report, hey, hit a sister up, info at KhadijaAdams.com. Until then, you guys, peace, love, and hippie stuff. NCIA's Cannabis Minority Report is a product of the National Cannabis Industry Association and NCIA's Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Committee. We are hosted every week by Khadija Adams. Our executive producers are Aaron Smith and Vince Chandler. We are directed by Vince Chandler and produced by Bethany Moore and Alexis Olive. Please, please, please find out everything you can about the growing and equitable cannabis industry at thecannabisindustry.org.